At Alma, we know the connection between you and your therapist matters. But if you're already feeling stressed and burnt out, the idea of trying to find a therapist you really connect with can be overwhelming. That's why Alma's focused on helping you find the right therapist for you. When you browse their online directory, you can filter by the qualities that are most important to you. Then book free 15-minute consultations with any therapist you're interested in seeing. And because 95% of therapists at Alma accept insurance, you can find care that's affordable too. You want to talk to someone, but not just anyone. Alma is there to help you find the right fit. Visit helloalma.com slash therapy30 to schedule a free consultation today. That's helloalma.com slash therapy30. Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. A note of warning. This podcast explores graphic and disturbing stories and includes strong language. It therefore may not be suitable for our young listeners or other folks who may find it disturbing. Hello and welcome to True Crime Daily, the podcast, bringing you high profile and under the radar cases from across the country every week. I'm Billy Jensen, and this is Owen Michael. Hello. Today is Thursday, September 26th, 2019, and our guest is Amanda Lamb. Amanda is a crime reporter at news station WRAL-TV in Raleigh, Durham, North Carolina, and she's also written eight nonfiction books, and she wrote her first novel, a psychological thriller slash murder mystery called Dead Last, which is set to be published in May of 2020. How you doing, Amanda? Great. Thanks for having me. I appreciate welcome. it. So, Amanda, you went in your bio, one of the things that jumps out at me is that you went to your first murder trial at 13. I did. You know, when people ask me how I became a crime reporter, I say organically, it's in my blood. So both of my parents were lawyers when I was growing up. And my dad was the district attorney in our town. And, you know, this is pre-internet, pre-everything. I mean, three channels on TV kind of thing. And um, I knew nothing about murder cases. And my dad really wanted me to see what he did for a living. And so he took me to uh, to the courthouse and let me watch some of his biggest trials. He had one. There were uh, it was it was a trial about these three brothers. They were kind of like rural mafia, if you will. They were stealing farm equipment. They were named the Johnson brothers. And I just remember going to that trial, sitting there with these cops all around me. And watching my dad do these very Perry Mason things in the courtroom and thinking, I'm so fascinated by this. And I absolutely somehow in my lifetime want to be part of this. And I actually thought I would be an attorney. And so that didn't that I didn't go in that direction. But I ended up being a journalist that covers what happens in the criminal still courtroom. sort of in so, the family business. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's, it's right there. And I, I love it. I love the theater of it. I love the passion of the attorneys. I love taking something that is so emotional 
and stripping it down to the facts in a courtroom. Mm. Um, and I just never, I never tire of it. I'm, I'm fascinated by it. Yes. What did L. Wood say in Legally Blonde? Law is, what was it? Oh, gosh. I you know, wish I, could... I, I stopped Reason quoting it to me. Reason free or something the, uh, like that. How, did you, how do you not know I, that? You know, it's, it's just so good that uh, <laughs> I, I collectively forgot. My, my two favorite uh, legal movies, of course, are uh, I saw it in the Legally theater. Blonde. You did. Yes. I'm hoping that was a date. It was a date, as a matter of fact. Uh-huh. And uh, and uh, and actually, my cousin Vinny, which is which which every lawyer I ever talked to, says very it's, realistic. It's an incredibly realistic <laughs> movie. It's one of the most realistic, realistic. Um, yeah. uh, lawyer movies out there. So, um, are, are there any notable cases in Raleigh Durham that you're following right now? You know, we always have a bunch of cases. Um, I was I was on a case today where a man is accused of putting a camcorder in the bathroom, the women's bathroom of our public trauma center here, our hospital here. And yeah. And, and taping seven victims, one of them, a six year old little girl, obviously you put the camera in there. You don't know who's going to walk in. Um, And they discovered this pretty quickly and they've been able to identify slowly who these victims are. And so they keep charging him with more crimes because these victims keep coming forward. Uh, we had an interesting case yesterday. Well, it's, it's an ongoing case. A man disappeared in 2016. His name is Cole Thomas. And he disappeared about 45 minutes from where I am in Raleigh. And they investigated it. They, they could not figure out what happened to him, but they knew these people were involved. So they charged them with hiding a body, basically concealing a body, but they didn't have a body. So they held them as long as they could. And yesterday they had to drop the charges because they said it was such a minor charge. They can't prove the murder part at this point. And so they have served the amount of time they would have served for this charge. So as you can imagine, the family who lives in Florida is just Mm -hmm. absolutely upset. And then right now, I would say the other big case we're covering, we have a murder trial that just started this week. And it's a man who is accused of killing his mother and then a week later killing his girlfriend. He put his mother, allegedly, according to investigators, on ice in a bathtub in the apartment. And he would go back and forth to walk the dog, to feed the dog and walk the dog at her apartment. And then again, according to investigators, he killed his girlfriend and called them. Uh, called 911 and confessed to everything. But you know how these things go. The legal system has a way of uh, turning things around. And now he has pleaded not guilty and he's on trial really? for these two murders, despite that 911 confession, which obviously is very unusual. And it will be interesting to Jeez. see how that plays out. We'll have to look that one up. I missed that in, a, in, in the, uh, this week's list. That sounds uh, compelling. But here's what yeah, we did have in this week's list. This week, we've got a school resource officer is fired after arresting two six-year-old children uh, who went to the school in Orlando. A family finds out their dream home is contaminated after their pregnant, the pregnant wife tests positive for amphetamine. This is in Missouri. We're going to go to Honolulu, Hawaii, and an Army medic takes a plea deal in a love triangle murder. But first, an 11-year-old boy drives alone in his brother's car for three hours to meet a man he met on Snapchat. In South Carolina, Owen, what's going on in Charleston? Yeah, this one's uh, kind of this will be a little bit upsetting to some of the parents out there, and uh, this is coming out of the South. This is basically between Simpsonville and Charleston, South Carolina. So, what is that? Uh, that's about 
three or four or five hours away from Raleigh Durham area. Is that right? Yeah, we're we're about five hours from Charleston. But I mean, my first thought about this story was how tall is this boy? I mean, I can't picture an 11 year old driving a vehicle. That was my first thought. Yeah. So so some background on the details here. So this basically an 11 year old kid took his older brother's car and drove uh, from Simpsonville about about three hours, 200 miles away out to the coast, out to Charleston. He met a guy on Snapchat and decided that he was going to go live with this man. And so uh, he got a hold of his brother's car somehow and drove the three hours. Now, 11, uh, I'm impressed, uh, 200 yeah. miles. <laughs> One way or the other, if you're driving around your neighborhood or if you're on the freeway or highway or whatever the case yeah. may be, uh, you're right. There are tall 11-year-old kids, but the fact that uh, he was able to operate this machinery... Um, what happened was this kid uh, pulled up to a police officer at about 12.30 a.m. early morning outside of a diner just north of downtown in Charleston. It's an 11-year-old kid. The uh, kid was the only person in the car, and he told the he basically sought out this officer, told the cop that he was lost, said he took the brother's car. He took his brother's car, and he drove down there. Yeah. Uh, he said he was on his way to a residence in Charleston. Um, he was using a tablet, uh, basically a tablet computer uh, type device and was he had lost his gps signal and so he was lost while he was downtown there uh, and he couldn't rec- he couldn't get the address because as uh, many of us who use snapchat know the information disappears once you've uh, once you've read it and received it so he was basically stranded there and uh couldn't thank get around, god really yeah and good job on the officer too i mean i wonder if this kid obviously the kid didn't come straight out and say i'm lost I'm going to meet a guy from Snap. I mean, this the officer right. started asking questions, recognizing that there was something off here, and then um, unraveled the situation. The boy gave the officer his contact, his dad's contact info, and um, you know they were able to to put two and two together. At about the same time, the police in Simpsonville had been called at about one two, 1.20 a.m. on a report of a missing child and a missing vehicle. Family told police the boy found a key to the car and left. The dad and the older brother drove to Charleston to pick him up and pick the vehicle up, and the tablet was held for evidence. Police were now uh, investigating this unknown male. I mean, it's it's so scary. Every single day, I look at the police reports here in Raleigh, and I can tell you about a third of them are adults online preying on children a lot of times mm. exchanging uh, obscene photos, asking the children to take photos and send mm-hmm. them in. Most of the time, these kids actually think they're dealing with somebody their own age and the adult is pretending to be a child. So this is a little bit different when you have an adult and he knows it's an adult. Um, but it's so scary. I mean, these the, the predators are now able to literally dip into our children's lives through the social media and it, it's very scary. I mean, you have to start talking to our, to your children younger and younger. My girls are teenagers, and I don't think it was as bad uh, mm. a, a couple years ago. But it's 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 really scary. It does seem to accelerate. Yeah. And it's also um, there's so many different places that it can happen as well. Because if sure. you look back at ten years ago, okay, you had MySpace, and then you had Facebook coming up. Uh, you could talk to somebody on on Twitter, and then you had you know these these smaller little chat type rooms, but with the explosion of apps and the smartphones and the fact that the smartphone is, is, you know, 
parents want their kids to have a smartphone mm-hmm. because they can find out where they are and they're always you know tethered to them but it also opens up because there's hundreds of thousands of apps and a lot of those apps have messaging capabilities and it's not even the fact it's not even that they're even on a Snapchat or on a WhatsApp or something like that it could be a messaging capability on a gaming app mm-hmm. that they're right. talking and somebody's to somebody just yeah. reach reaching out to them i mean uh, we've all probably experienced that where somebody's reaching out to you on Instagram or or a game and you're thinking, you know, this isn't a platform for this. Why is this person reaching out to me? I will tell you that one of the things that's interesting about all this technology is that the police uh, I know in our area and probably across the country have gotten so savvy about using this in criminal cases. I mean, they are using social media. They are using Google. They are using people's phones, their computers, their IP email, addresses their texts. and all the rest. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, this is the, the, the state of affairs uh, these days in, in 2019. I mean, uh, the other thing that I'm thinking here is if this kid was a year or two older or a little bit wiser to the world, he would have had that information written down. We'd never even have heard this case uh, sure. or, or, or sure. in some other permutation because uh, he would have never had to stop for the cop. It sounds like he nope. had already arrived in town. If he if it wasn't for the tablet losing the GPS signal, mm-hmm. he, he might not have had. He might have yeah. gotten to the I wonder place. even if the tablet had a GPS. Maybe the tablet just had the information on it. And sure. then Because most tab- – I mean, how many people, you know – I don't know I don't know the, the exact numbers, but – a lot of people just have tablets and they're not they don't they don't pay for that the service they just hook them up to Wi-Fi mm-hmm. as opposed to your phone. But yeah, if you lose, I mean I drive to my daughter's college in Virginia and if you if you X out of your GPS, you lose the signal, you don't have the direction. Yeah, so exactly. I mean it's yeah. you, you do uh, thank I mean thank God that it happened that way, you know, because yeah. he's 11 years old. Uh, well, and, you know, we don't know was, what the the full story is. They they're they're they held on to the tablet they're trying to figure out if yeah. we have no idea whether this is an adult who said, yeah, come on over, kid, mm-hmm. and let's do this, or if the kid took it upon them himself or, or whatever the case may be. It does sound a little nefarious, though. That Sketchy. How, how would it, how, <laughs> I'm not in any contact with any kids. There's no way that they would get my no. contact information. I don't no. know how that happens to a, a no. quote-unquote unknown male. So, uh, to Well, be speaking of kids and the happiest place on Earth, we're going to go to Orlando, which has a multitude of theme parks. Lots to do in Orlando. Lots to do in Orlando. It's also where CrimeCon is next year, by the mm. way. But two six-year-old children were arrested in Orlando, Florida, on misdemeanor battery charges last week. This is Thursday, September 19th. Six. Separate, unrelated incidents. One boy, one girl. One of the children was processed into a juvenile jail, including fingerprinted and mugshot. That child was released to family members afterward. The other child was released back to the school after being processed as, quote, the officer transporting one of the children realized approval hadn't been obtained and stopped the process immediately, according to USA Today. Orlando police launched an internal investigation. The department policy mandates officers must get approval from a watch commander before arresting a child younger than. Any ideas? I'm going to say 12. 12 years old, yes. Yeah. Speaking of uh, 11 and 12 year old. Yeah. I mean, it's insane, you know, that that would be your go to to arrest a child that young and say that they are, uh, you know, a danger to society. I mean, basically, discipline and nurturing and all the things that happen with children should be happening in the home, should be happening at school. But I I can't even imagine what would go through the mind of, of an officer to do that. In North Carolina, ironically, we are now uh, we've just passed a law starting December 1st. We're going in the other direction. 
there's they used to say that anybody who is 16 or 17 would be charged as an adult. Mm-hmm. But we've now changed that starting December 1. If you are under 18, then you will go to juvenile court first and they will make a decision for 16 and 17 year olds as to whether you should be charged. It won't be automatic anymore, which is what so which push. is what it used to be, you know, yeah. two decades ago was, uh, until sort of the crime panic. They started ch- uh, charging kids with uh, as adults and that kind of stuff. We've since the science has borne out that uh, the frontal lobe and, you know, uh, development of kids' brains is not really finished until 25. It's kind of unfair to lock up kids for life at, uh, at 18 or whatever the case may be, which is that whole slippery slope of the, of the juvenile situation. Basically, it's just kind of reverting back to what the letter of the law originally was, which is, you know, if you're younger than 18, you should be tried as a juvenile. Um, six years old. Just seems cognitively dissonant, though. No matter how how you slice it, I mean, exactly. how do you even fit uh, hand uh, hand uh, excuse me handcuffs on uh, on a little wrists like that? Well, the, the, so the question is, what did this? Uh, what did these two kids do? Now, the mm-hmm. details of one of the child's arrests, the boy, were not available. But according to uh, the police report, uh, Dennis Turner, who was the officer with Orlando Police Department for 23 years, he retired in 2018, and then he came back as a resource officer in July. So he wrote in his report of the six-year-old girl, she, quote, battered three staff members by kicking and punching them without permission. That girl's grandmother spoke to WKMG-TV in Orlando. She said the girl had a temper tantrum spurred by lack of sleep due to sleep apnea. The little girl had been acting out in her first grade class and was sent to the principal's office where the kicking allegedly happened. A staff member reportedly had held the girl's wrists to calm her down, and the girl responded by kicking. Uh, WKMG also reported that the girl's grandmother said the officer told her, quote, well, I have sleep na- sleep apnea and I don't behave like that. There's an empath- empathy right there. Uh, there yeah, you I mean, go. it's just such overkill. And, you know, I think the district attorney in this case was very level headed. I mean, she she basically said, look, children need to be protected, nurtured and also disciplined, but not by the criminal justice system at this age. I mean, it's just yeah. doesn't make any sense. It's 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 zero to 60 without it's just no common sense. Yeah. And, and you know what? To. And if you want to be the school resource officer and you want to be a friend, you know, and 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 nurture that as somebody that is in uniform, you know, you bend down to the, the, the child, you get down the child's level and you say, hey, listen, we just don't, we don't, friendly. we're officer friendly. We don't act like that. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Uh, the girl's grandmother said that the girl was handcuffed, transported in the back of a oh. police car, fingerprinted in the mugshot taken. And she said that the girl has since been having nightmares. Six I can't years imagine old. why. Yeah. Six <laughs> I mean, years old. You know. I mean, I, I, that's this girl was a first grader by by all these accounts. I can barely remember first grade, but uh, I can remember other kids acting out from time to time. I mean, maybe we have a lower mm-hmm. tolerance uh, these days in in schools. I mean, obviously, this is this is a one time incident. This is not a blanket thing that's happening across the country. But it is sort of that weird slippery slope that we were talking about. You're kind of going in the opposite direction as uh, yeah. incarceration. Yeah, and I mean, maybe she needs some counseling. Maybe that would be the um, appropriate thing yeah. for adults to do. Or a good night's sleep. Her. Yeah, either one, mm-hmm. maybe both, but yeah. you know, certainly not jail. And yeah, the school, so, the, school the school administrators themselves said, you know, you're taking this too far. We don't want this. There's, they've released statements, and it's been sort of up in the air. But basically, they said they didn't yeah. want the kid uh, no. arrested. You, they, no. they said yeah. that uh, our initial finding shows the policy was not followed. That's what the police chief said, and right. the police chief apologized to, to the uh, two families, and has since sent out a memo highlighting the policy to all the staff. You know, my question is, this officer was hired in July. How much training did this officer have between being hired in July 
to September? Are they thinking, oh, here's a police officer with 23 years experience. Obviously, the biggest hot button issue is school shootings. He'll be able to handle himself with the school shootings. But everything else, the 99.99999% of what he's going to have to deal with, is he, you know, the it's everyday stuff, yeah. right? Everyday stuff. It's, the, it's you know, it, it's a little bit of a cliche, but uh, when you're a hammer, every problem is a nail, kind of a thing. You know, if you have a skill set that you've been developing for 23 years, and then all of a sudden yeah. you're dealing with these little, uh, these uh, smaller children, you're still sort of observe the observe your worldview the same way. So. Well, the charges, which were, which were misdemeanor battery charges, they were both dismissed by the Florida State Attorney, who was Aramis Ayala, and no further charges are being I'm filed. sure that, that everybody involved in this, other than the cop, started, you know, jumped for the phones and jumped for everything they could, saying, obviously, this is not going to go any further. We're yeah. not yeah. charging six-year-old That's kids, the appropriate even in ending, Florida. For mm-hmm. sure. Right. For sure. Even in Florida, yes. <laughs> well, what's going on in Missouri? So, moving over to Missouri, we've got another sort of a parental nightmare. Uh, this is uh, uh, Alicia and Tyler Hessel. Um, they have a GoFundMe right now. What happened with them? They bought a house in Jefferson County, Missouri. This is just south of the St. Louis metropolitan area. Bought this house in 2018, last year. This year, uh, Alicia got pregnant. During her first uh, routine prenatal test, doctors found traces of amphetamine in her blood and urine, which obviously raised some red flags. Uh, neither parent has criminal history or a history of drug use, um, which some law enforcement and other places may say, well, that's, you know, you have no history, but it doesn't mean anything. So they got a home testing kit. Uh, they suspected that basically the house might be the culprit here. So they got a home testing kit for the house. Uh, the home testing kit yielded positive results for the residue of drugs. So they hired a company to kind of test the house more in-depth for drug residue. Company found, quotes, dangerous levels of methamphetamine inside of the house, according to KMOV-TV. The meth is believed to have been left behind by possible smoking and manufacturing the drug in the house by previous occupants. Uh, the report said the heating and air conditioning ducts in the house were reportedly severely contaminated and likely had not been cleaned uh, in the interim. Yeah. So the couple went online and they did a search of the state website databases of houses where meth labs have been found. And sure enough, the house had been seized in 2013 due to the presence of a meth lab. And uh, if you've ever, you know, looked into real estate and been around, you know, if a home has been used as a meth lab, a lot of times it they will just gut the house, mm. um, uh, especially uh, take out, you know, all of the ducks, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's toxic stuff. Ducks. And, and I mean, ducks. I think I think you can find out a lot about a property when you're considering buying a property. There's so much public information online right. that you just have to know where to look. I mean, you can just Google many addresses. And if there was a news story, for example, done about a meth bust at this house, it would come up. We have a lot of houses that uh, I've dealt with that are what we call murder houses, where somebody has been murdered. And if you don't ask the question, the real estate agent doesn't have to tell you. Mm -hmm. If you ask the question, they have to tell you. Personally, I wouldn't want to live in a house where someone had died from unnatural causes. So I think that it it behooves anyone who is looking into purchasing real estate to talk to the neighbors, Google, look up public records, see what you can find out. I mean, of course, there is no, this family did nothing wrong. I mean, they are the victims, absolutely, 100%. But, you know, I, I think 
in this day and age, you've got to ask a lot of questions yeah. before if, you buy a piece of property. If anything, you can use it to knock a couple dollars down off the price, but certainly sure. something like sure. this, where there's actually a, a health hazard on top of, you know, the, the, the stigma or the superstition sure. or whatever, sure. um, that, that's pretty bad. Well, and, and in fact, in fact, it seems that the, uh, the, whoever was responsible for the sale of this actually did miss this step because in Missouri you are required as in you are, as you are in many states yeah. you're supposed to if this paint has lead I mean excuse me there's lead paint in the house or if there's asbestos there's certain environmental factors going on with the residents are required by law to tell you this one uh, apparently did not yes. uh, did not get flagged on that she did she took a quick I found it myself uh, you know there's a quick uh, online database for Missouri which is having its own problems with uh, methamphetamine yeah. met, met like many other states. Yeah, KSDK said that uh, the home was supposed to remain condemned until it was brought up to code. Uh, any home is supposed to be uh, uh, condemned until it's brought up to code yeah. in cases of meth contamination. But the Jefferson County Sheriff's Office have no record of testing home for, this home for contamination, and hence was it was never reported to code enforcement officials. The house became bank property, and uh, one other owner prior to the Hessels uh, had already moved in. So the neighbors had been dropping hints about the previous residents. They said well, they were. Yeah. yeah, they said they were. They were happy to finally have some normal people move in next door. Uh, Elisha told CBS News and also told them police had been at the house for a possible drug bust in the past. The couple has since moved out of the house, and now they're raising money to gut the house and rebuild the interior at a cost of about a hundred thousand dollars. I have to think that mm. maybe there's. They might be uh, looking at some sort of legal, legal action, action, you would think. Yeah, um, and I don't think I would want to live in that house because I would be worried about how it affected the soil as well and the foundation. And, you know, yeah, it, it's true. I, I, really I mean, it, once that sort of seed is planted, but, you know, they did buy this house. Um, they, mother and baby are reportedly, they're, they're healthy, they're, they're unaffected and they've got some time here before the, before this happens. But, uh, I, you know, I have to think about that with the neighbors too. The neighbors may not have known that the The degree of, of, of contamination here, but yeah, definitely it sort of puts you in mind if you had a situation like that in your neighborhood and you had this one bad house, assuming that was sort of the only one, how far do you go? You get some new neighbors coming in. Do you want us, you kind of want to give them the full background or do you kind of want to just say, Hey, live and let live. Glad you guys are here. You know, that other couple that lived here before, they were a little sketchy. Yeah. Might want to scrub around a little bit. I hope these yeah, people aren't mad at their neighbors. at their neighbors too much. I mean, wait, no, nah, you'd be mad at the state. And, yeah. uh, you know, the fact that, you know, anytime you move into some place, you move into some place and then you realize six months down the road that you need a new roof. You Isn't know, that and you're pretty, everywhere. you're pretty, you're, you're pissed off at that. But sure. this this, this is, is a whole a other extreme. thing. Yeah, this is not termites. Extreme. This is, this is, no. got a kid. No. Got a kid. Yes. Yeah. Chemistry. Yeah. Exactly. So, yeah. Very All right. So the moral of the story is don't buy houses. Yes. Yeah. Uh, or or just, just do a lot of research. A lot of Airbnb that's, that's and, a, and a lot of yeah. research. Yeah. So, well, so we're going from a meth house to uh, Orlando, which is the uh, uh, most uh, magical place on earth, to what would some consider paradise on earth, Hawaii. And there is a love triangle murder. And on Monday, a former army medic named Michael Walker took a plea deal in a courtroom in Honolulu. Michael Walker was set to be tried for capital murder for the 2014 stabbing death of his wife, Catherine Walker. And that was supposed to start next Tuesday. He faced a mandatory life in prison without parole sentence if convicted of first degree murder. 
Instead, Walker pled guilty to second-degree murder on Monday. Prosecutors expect to ask for 24 to 30 years in prison in this February sentencing, but it's up to the judge. So the details, uh, as in love triangles, get a little wacky here. Walker, who's about 40, had also pleaded guilty to aiding and abetting 26-year-old Lisa Jackson. Jackson pleaded guilty to murder in 2015. She's also set to be sentenced in this case in February. She was expected to testify against Michael Walker if the capital murder case had uh, proceeded to trial next week. She's expected to get about 30 to 33 years in prison recommended by prosecution. Um, government prosecutor said Michael Walker and Lisa Jackson were having an affair and that Walker had talked Jackson into killing his wife while he was at work so he would have an alibi. Catherine Walker, his wife, she was stabbed to death with a kitchen knife in her residence at the uh, Aliamanu Military Reservation on Oahu. This is just outside of Honolulu in 2014, Paradise Indeed. She had been sleeping when she was attacked. Lisa Jackson, uh, she was arrested in Indiana in 2015, extradited back to Hawaii. Michael Jack, excuse me, Michael Walker was not suspected of the murder at first, but Lisa Jackson later told investigators that Walker had given her a key to the residence. She went into detail about how she did it. She said she stabbed Catherine multiple times in her neck and torso and then waited for at least 30 minutes inside the house mm. to make sure she was dead before she left. Wow. Uh, this Michael Walker a character, Jackson claims she met him online. They began a, they began a sexual relationship. Uh, she happened to live with her family in the same neighborhood on that military base at the time. Uh, Hawaii News Now reports Michael Walker did admit to that affair, as well as multiple other affairs with men and women. Said he was a sex addict. Said he had taken money from sex. He had taken money for sex from men in the past. But he says he loved his wife and never wanted her murdered. Prosecutors did say, though, that uh, he didn't want to get a divorce because of financial concerns. He was motivated by a potential $400,000 payout in life insurance money, which is often... Not going to get you that far, though. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't seem very uh, well thought out, but it never does in these cases. No. It's always about the insurance uh, money. It's very disturbing. Very disturbing. And, I mean, I want to hit my head against the wall when I hear stories like this where a woman has been a vulnerable woman, clearly. Yes. Um, and, and I know there was some um, allusion to possible mental illness that she had been dealing with. You know, there's a lot of things that people will do for love, for lust. And, you know, one of them should not be to kill someone. I mean, the bottom line is if somebody asks you to kill someone, that should be a deal breaker. Um, and it's just very sad that he was able to find somebody that he could uh, manipulate in mm -hmm. this way and it's... obviously ruined her life uh, as well as ending his wife's life. Indeed. And, and prosecutors speculate, and this is apparently what he's pled to, is that he, he convinced this woman who, as you said, uh, she's considered mentally ill and has heard voices in the past and that kind of thing. He basically convinced her to do this uh, while he was at work so that he would have an alibi. So he definitely, right. I, I shouldn't say definitely, we're speculating here, but it seems that he kind of viewed her as Planned expendable it. in this thing. Yeah. And this is, this is definitely going to get me what I want, but uh, it doesn't seem that the the long-term possibilities here were fully explored or thought out, but, uh, you know, we'd be out of business if it wasn't for most people misjudging yeah. these types of, uh, these types of crimes and trying to get away with them. So, uh, but thankfully at least small comfort is that he pleaded guilty and he's kind of sparing, sure. the, sparing the family, uh, an extended trial and all the rest. So he will get to, but he got a deal. I mean, he, he got a deal. deal. He and, got a deal. And, you know, 
a lot of um, actually domestic murderers that a lot of the cases that I've covered, uh, my last true crime book was called Love Lies. And it was a situation where a man killed his wife, left her body in a ditch. She, people thought she went running. She was in running clothes and that she was attacked by a stranger. Mm -hmm. That didn't happen. Long story short, there was a trial. He was convicted of first degree murder. There were some issues with how the trial went down. It was reversed and he ended up pleading to second degree and he will be out with time served, uh, I believe next year. So, you know, and he went in 2000, uh, 2008. What state was this in? In North Carolina. This was one of one of the, the stories that I've covered for TV and also wrote a book about it. But it's just amazing that in a lot of these domestic cases, they end up just, you know, getting dealing with a, a plea deal. And that's that's what happened here. But you're right. It's it's better than nothing. Well, um, and, and which, your story there also makes me think of sort of uh, speaking of neighbors, you kind of never know sometimes who your neighbor might be and what they're, you know, can you imagine this gentleman that you're dis- uh, sure. describing moving into your neighborhood? You wouldn't really know one way or the other unless somebody was uh, sort of publicizing it. And, you know, our, our thing is about forgiveness and, and rehabilitation through the system and all those kind of the kind of things. But I think most people, given the druthers, would not would prefer to, no. I, I mean, and, you know, I, do you want to live next to a murder or do you want to live in a meth house? Those are your choices. Yeah. Well, I mean, killers don't look like monsters. They don't look right. like boogeymen. Um, a lot of times they look like the person that we work next to, ride the train next to. Yeah, the person um, that you're sitting right next to, to doing a podcast. Sometimes that's sure, yeah, you, you never know. That. So, I mean, and that's that plays out over and over when you see these a lot of these domestic murder cases. These are educated people, professional people. Uh, people that you might work with, you might go to church with, you might, again, ride the train with, you might live next door to, you might play racquetball with them and they can, they can easily be a sociopath and you don't know it. That's true. Yeah. So uh, we get comments. We post a lot of content every day and on our Facebook page and on YouTube or at True Crime Daily, we get comments. And these are two stories that got a lot of comments today or throughout the week. Mm -hmm. Salt Lake City restaurateur, Shoots fire extinguisher in face of man smoking in public. The video shows the Salt Lake City restaurant owner shooting chemicals from a fire extinguisher in the face of a cigarette smoker. Quote, he was where he should be, and he cleared that with security to make sure he was able to smoke there, said the smoker's attorney. The comments, Armand D. said, I don't smoke, but this restaurant owner was way out of bounds. April 8th said he should be charged with assault with a deadly weapon. Fire extinguishers suffocate fires by depriving it, depriving it of oxygen. Mm -hmm. And Holly W. said he's extra. I just blow bubbles in the general vicinity of someone who's blowing smoke in mine. Mm. I figure if they can blow ash, I can blow soap. And I've never heard of secondhand soap causing lung cancer. So I've never, Holly, I've never heard of that. Uh, I've never heard of you know Holly. Do you walk around with with a, bubbles in your with purse, bubbles right? in your purse? Which if <laughs> yeah. you do, I think that's I, wonderful. I like the idea. Maybe she has a child. Maybe she. Uh, maybe, you got to whip maybe, this. To, you maybe know. she works at a circus. You don't know. Hey, I don't there's know. a lot of you know the people that don't smoke versus the people that do. It's a, it's a very passionate um, war. Yes. I would yes. say and strong feelings. And I was when I yes, was in North Carolina. Feelings. It did feel a little bit like. Uh, Europe, because they're because that's the that's heart a, that's of a tobacco state. And, the tobacco and state. Come and there's a lot a of long way. Let me tell you, we used to have smoking in all of our restaurants and all of our public buildings. Yeah. We don't anymore, but you know that's changed across the country. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, there's still there's still he, definitely more yeah. people smoking than. Uh, 
Sure. Oh, in L.A., you know, you're, it's, you're yeah. a pariah. Exactly. You but if you, I mean, if you are allowed to smoke in a certain spot, you're allowed to smoke yep. there. You, and people are not allowed to do harm to you uh, because of that. Yeah. No. The, the photo yeah. here for our listeners, uh, you can go to TrueCrimeDaily.com and check it out. But uh, it's pretty blatant. The restaurant owner just walks straight up. He's standing maybe two, three feet in front of the guy and just full on blasting. He's, he's also blasting him in his eyes in his, and not yes. in the cigarette. Well, the cigarette, Ooh. if you look closely, you can see it is in his mouth. So he sort of just uh, missed it. But yeah, it it's going straight. Kind of and, you know, he might have kind of eh, he's, well, he's kind of yeah. doing the whole spray action. Yeah. Anyway, uh, I can just say that uh, if I was the smoker, uh, it's, it's probably better that it didn't just escalate. I mean, there's one thing about, you know, right. asking somebody to get off your, your, your sidewalk or smoking or whatever. Uh-huh. But blasting me in the face with the with the fire extinguisher, that might be a fight uh, no, you in call, certain cities. Yes, yes. So, uh, you know, respect each other's boundaries, people. That's all. Yeah. So what it looks like is that he was probably smoking on the sidewalk in a public place. This guy has maybe a patio uh, for his restaurant. And then people might have been complaining about it. We've seen this altercation before. We certainly uh, have. You know, patio restaurant owners and people Mm -hmm. walking by on the street and that kind of thing. So just, you know. And and hey, here's an idea. Be nice. Ask somebody, hey, would you mind moving away from my restaurant patio? Sure. That just might be the first first thing to do before the fire extinguisher <laughs> also don't smoke it's bad for you yeah it is it that's is good. true yeah absolutely. so um <laughs> the uh the other case that we have is uh two daycare employees arrested for fighting and resisting arrest and that's because uh here's the story here police say upon arrival the victim told the responding officer the incident started when she was speaking to the daycare director about her child being hit by another child The victim said when she was speaking to the director, another employee interjected herself in the conversation. The victim said at one point she took out her phone and started recording the interaction, which uh, started to get heated. And then, um, you know, obviously there were children around. Uh, Michelle D. said they look like babies themselves, not mature enough. Tracy Ann M. said mugshots looking like headshots, flawless. And Trigger C. said, don't know what to say. I'm at a loss for words. Justice is served. We have had uh, on True Crime Daily in the past. We've had a pretty significant amount of traffic whenever you have some of these hot mug shots. Uh, this mm-hmm. is sort of along those lines. A lot of people uh, making comments about that, but uh, let's not lose sight of the fact that there's a fight going on in a daycare area here, and um, uh, you know, mm-hmm. not it a doesn't good need idea. that. And, and we will yeah, say this: around. there are uh, some of the the stories that get the most traffic are daycare stories, mm-hmm. and it's a lot of we, times. I mean, we've had a couple lately. It. Uh, where you've, we've had a couple of abuse cases mm-hmm. in daycares. And yeah, they're very high profile because people who have children, that's their well, biggest it's, fear. It's your biggest fear, something exactly. like that happen. And, you know, when you mentioned the phone being brought out, the phone just always escalates every situation, unfortunately. I yes, mean, it does. It does. Yep, it, does. It, it does, but it's also important too, you know. It, uh, and yeah, and it can be evidence, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's a fine line though. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you immediately whip the phone out, you're 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 going to escalate. The it situation. can be provocative, but uh, yeah, you know, exactly. you, uh, knowing that it's also beho- it behooves all of us to sort of back down a notch mm-hmm. and you know everybody yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, take it yeah. down. So that's right. our show for this week. Thank you, Amanda Lamb, for being our guest. Uh, where can viewers yeah, and listeners find me. out more about what you're working on? Gotcha. Well, I have a website. It's alamauthor.com. But probably the best thing is follow me on Facebook at WREL Amanda Lamb. Follow me on Twitter at alam. 
uh, follow me on Instagram at WREL Amanda Lamb. And uh, you should you will be up to date on what I'm doing every day because I am a frequent poster. OK, so we'll put your details in the descriptions of the podcast and on our YouTube video. And for you listeners and watchers out there, you can find our content on Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and of course, YouTube, and get updates and subscribe to our newsletter at truecrimedaily.com. Until next week, this is True Crime Daily, the podcast reminding you, don't do crimes. Don't do crimes.